So good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, as you've heard, uh, we're in Proverbs chapter 2. We will uh, look around at some other things this morning. Finally, in our series on, on wisdom, we've actually gotten into Proverbs. I did promise you earlier that uh, we would be looking at uh, Ecclesiastes a little bit, Proverbs, and some parables of Jesus. And so this is um, uh, actually, what is this, our fourth week now in the series uh, Desiring Wisdom Because Nothing Else Matters More. And what we've basically picked up so far, uh, just as a quick little recap so that we can set our minds into where we're going today, is uh, first of all, we, we realize that, you know what, every one of us truly lacks wisdom at least the kind of wisdom that the Bible talks about, which is wisdom from above, which is the wisdom of God. We lost it when Adam and Eve sinned. We lost it at the fall, and, and we as human beings have been trying to replace the wisdom of God that we've been separated from with human knowledge. And we, we've kind of fooled ourselves over the past two millennia, and that is that we've basically, 2,000 years, is we, we've, we've actually thought that we could, by learning more, by having more knowledge, we could become wise. And so we realized so far in the series that that's just not going to happen. We, we, we saw what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, that there's nothing new under the sun. We seem to be stuck in this cycle, generation after generation, not really learning from the previous generations, but not all, also not even learning in our own lives. We keep making the same bad decisions, thinking that we've got it all figured out, but we don't. And so we've also discovered that there's a simple secret to finding wisdom. It's a simple secret. Uh, rather than looking to books and education, which is good, rather than looking to man and, and asking others for their worldly wisdom, James, the stepbrother of Jesus, said it very simply. He said in chapter 1, verse 5 of his amazing letter, which is about wisdom, really, he said these words. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's, that's not a conditional statement. It's like, okay, we all do. If any of you lacks, uh, lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so we've been purposing, I hope you've been purposing along with myself, uh, since the beginning of the series to start each day asking God for wisdom. Not, not looking at our to-do list at our day timer, if we're still using those things, and, and planning it all out and thinking, here's what I'll do, I'll do this, or I got to go to a meeting and we'll figure out this. No, no, start with him, read his word. You know, you can read the whole letter of Galatians in less than 15 minutes. <laughs> you could actually do that, but just read his word, listen to him, read Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Read a chapter every day and pray and say, okay, God, I've got to do this, this, and this today. What should I do? Be with me in those decisions. And so that was a simple thing. Finally, last week, we looked at this great example of wisdom from above. 20-year-old King Solomon is bestowed with the wisdom of God. So God gave a special grant and gift to him of wisdom, and he used it in a miraculous story, a miraculous way. And we saw that that whole story in 1 Kings chapter 3 was really a picture of King Solomon being a foretaste, a foreshadowing of King Jesus, who is wisdom in the flesh. So I thought as I was praying about this week, I was actually thinking of doing something different, but I thought before we dive into this passage today and this message today, it occurred to me that if we're not careful at this point in the series, uh, we may make the mistake of thinking that all we need to do is get wisdom like we get knowledge, uh, that we must do to get and therefore place burdens on ourselves that wisdom doesn't intend for us. 
You know, you can read Proverbs, you can read the book of Proverbs, and we'll look at that today. But you, when you read it, it's like, okay, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. And, and it can put incredible burdens on us. And we may begin to believe one of two terrible errors. <laughs> First, that if, you, that if you receive wisdom, if you actually know you've gotten wisdom from a God and you neglect it or don't use it, the wisdom that He's given to you, your life will suffer. And why would that be? Well, because, of course, you know, people believe that God is this ogre who's just looking around for an opportunity to zap you for doing something wrong, right? And, and, and that would be a mistake to think that. But secondly, we might also wrongly believe that if we do do the wise and godly thing, then somehow God is on the hook. You know, he, He's on the hook, and He must protect us from harm, and He must also prosper us in this life. And we know that that's not true as well. So maybe what we need to do first this morning is to discover what the wisdom of God really is and what it is for. And so today's message is titled Reality Check. If you don't have your little notes that you can take down, I think we still have some on the table here. Reality Check. I want to show it to you in three ways today. I hope to look at three things. What is reality? Number one. Number two, how wisdom reorders our reality. And three, God's plan to reorder all things. So, number one, what is reality? What is reality? Uh, I quoted for you last week uh, uh, an Old Testament uh, commentator by the name of Gerhard von Rad, and he said wisdom means this. His definition of wisdom was this, becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. So, m- meaning how things really are, um, how things really happen, and what to do about it in whatever circumstances you're in. Now, if you look up the phrase reality check in the dictionary, it's interesting, you're going to see a definition just like this, where it says this. It's an occasion, an occasion on which one is reminded of the state of things in the real world. So that sounds pretty simple, right? We can do that, right? You, you and I should be able to do that. We need to know what the real world is. Is that, is that simple? That's pretty simple, isn't it? I remember early on when we first moved to Squamish, um, I met this individual, and we were talking about a number of different things, and then, you know, me being a church planter coming here, the subject of God and faith came around. And, and she was asking me some questions about, you know, God and faith, and she was a bit of a skeptic. And uh, so I just asked her this question. I said, listen, let me just ask you this. Are things the way that they should be in this world are things the way they should be in your life? And quite honestly, she looked at me and she said, no. But now that's, that presupposes, doesn't it, <laughs> that you or I know the way things should be. We, we actually know the way things should be. It was a simple question, and her response revealed the fact that she thought, and I probably think the same thing, and you probably think the same thing, that we do know the way things should be. Well, do we? <laughs> do we really understand how they should be? Uh, if, if there were, let me put it this way, if there were no God, then what we end up would be basically this, our opinion, or your opinion, right? Further, if there's no God, then what we end up with are opinions of one group of people imposing their opinions on others. <laughs> Does that sound familiar at all? Anybody here on Facebook? 
Anybody really know about a recent election down south or anywhere for that matter? There's polar opposites, isn't there? There are people on this side of the political coin and on that side of the political coin. In Canada, we're a little bit more messed up. We, we've got three or four different choices, right? But, but people are basically polarized because of opinions. And so these people over here, they go, well, we know what reality is or what it should look like. And these people over here go, no, 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 no. We know what reality is and what it should look like. So listen, I, I propose to you, um, we haven't got a clue what's going on here because we're not aware of what reality really is. We talk about it. We talk about taking reality checks. But I would suggest today we have nothing but division, disunity. This is the reality or unreality that we live in today. So on the other hand, if our Old Testament theologian is right, and I've quoted him because I believe he is, then there are realities that maybe we are not fully aware of, and then that is what wisdom is for, to direct us to it, to teach us to become competent to the realities of life. So now there's one more thing that's uh, very good news, and we're going to find it in our text today. So I've already said Solomon was the wisest man ever. The Scripture teaches us that God said that you will be the wisest man in your day, but that will ever be, human man that will ever be. And he left us three amazing books. He left us the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. But Proverbs is probably his most famous. Um, many, I think, uh, also believe it's uh, um, the least understood. And for most preachers, it's the, the, the one of the books they actually fear going to, partly because of what I've already introduced, which is this idea that you can read Proverbs and think, yeah, i got to do this, i got to do this, and get the wrong idea. But it's also difficult to preach because other than chapter 2, the narrative is not, doesn't have that need of flow. There's just a bunch of little nuggets here, there, and basically you got to pull it all together. And so I think in our day and age, it gets used kind of like what I suggested also, a bit like a daily devotional, which it's good for, um, or a book of pithy statements, kind of like Confucius says, right? It's not the same as what Confucius says. One of the great challenges, I think, for all of us then is to, to understand this text. It doesn't flow like a normal biblical narrative. It, it can also be very moralistic, as I've indicated, and leave some with the wrong impression about what is, wisdom is and what it's for. You could, as I've already mentioned again, come to believe that I just need to do this or do that, then my life will go great. So let's look at this verses 16 to 19 first in our passage today because I want you to see the real big rub here about reality. Read this with me if you have your Bibles or I'll have it on screen. Chapter 2, verses 16 to 19 say this. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Now, Hebrew itself is a very fascinating language. Um, I only know a little bit about it. It's good that there's great uh, commentary and software to understand these words. But there, there's a really key word in this passage, um, and, and we need to look at this word. I mean, most of us, I think, would have the same impression as people in that day would have when they heard these words, that it's basically a story about, you know, a married man uh, having an affair with a, a, a woman and, and, and how immoral that is. 
And this is the proverb teaching us that this is the wrong way to live. Well, it's, it is about that, but it's also a picture. The word, the word there that you see in the text, forbidden, right, woman, adulteress, is an interesting word. Um, in the Hebrew, the people in that day would have heard it to mean strange, alien even, foreigner is the way they would have understood that word in that day. And so, it's got a different connotation. It's not behavior, uh, it's not, pardon me, that, that this person is actually a foreigner or a stranger. Rather, behavior is alien or foreign. In other words, the act of actually being with a woman who's not your wife or vice versa is alien to who you are, to who you've actually been created to be. And so, the nature of this particular text is teaching us that some behaviors are alien to your true nature, no matter how good they may feel at the time. Let me give you an illustration that might help. It's an interesting illustration because it's, it's about fish and us, right? I love to fish. I don't know how many of you do love to fish, but um, you can study entomology, which is about, you know, the, the whole life underneath the, 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 the water. But fish, they, I mean, when they swim around in the water every day, they, they have, to, to them it's like what you and I are doing right now. We're, we're just, we're here in the atmosphere in this space. We're breathing oxygen. For, the, for us, this is completely natural. It's the space that we're in. Uh, but for a fish, can you imagine? Can you imagine? One day a fish is thinking to himself, um, yeah, you know, this, this, this water is, I just, I just realized I'm in water. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'd like to see what it's like over there on the dry land. And so they come flying out of the water, and they're on the dry land. And then what happens within 15 seconds? Okay, this is not working. Can't breathe. There's oxygen in the air. Same would be true for you and I. If we turn that around and we jump in the water, and hopefully most of us know how to swim. No, most of us know how to hold our breath for a little while, right, underwater. But the reality is, in a very short period of time, unless we can get back into the place which is not alien to us, not strange to us, but natural for us, what's going to happen? <laughs> We're going to die. We're going to die. Same thing for the fish. It's not their nature. To be in this atmosphere any more than it is our nature to be under the water, and yet there's oxygen in both places. Strange, isn't it? Strange, but it's the way God has made it. So listen, there is a physical order that exists that when violated leads to decay, breakdown, and death. We need to also see this. There is a divine spiritual order that is just as real as the physical order, and when you don't follow it, it leads to disintegration, breakdown, and to death. So listen, God is our creator. He knows what we need to thrive. When we don't follow God's direction, His paths, we are actually assaulting our own beings. We are hurting ourselves. And so this totally dispels what some people think about the God of the Bible, our God who created us. 
who's, who's this God who's just looking for us to mess up, that all the Bible is is a bunch of do's and don'ts so that you don't get zapped. And whenever you do something wrong, you just, you know, you're, you're bad and he's going to hurt you. No. Everything that he gives us, including the Ten Commandments, is so that you and I will recognize that there is a divine spiritual order. And once we're out of that water, out of that atmosphere, we're, we're in an alien place. And the gospel is intended to bring us back. And so, for example, God tells us to forgive, to be radically generous with our time and money, to tell the truth. The bottom line is when we don't, it creates an environment that is toxic to our actual souls, as being underwater is to our lungs. And wisdom is recognizing that there is an order, and by living by that order, we will live. I want you to also note, if you see in this, these verses in 18 and 19, her paths and the paths of life. I've, I've highlighted them. Um, you see the part there where it says a straight path, right? Uh, I love that. It, it, the, the straight path being the footsteps of Christ and His followers of His. We can stay on that straight path if we follow Jesus appropriately. So let me show you what God's order actually really looks like, because this is important. I'm going to read some verses again. If you have your Bibles, you can flip right to the very beginning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. It says this in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. Oh, you all probably know these off by heart, I might hope, because we come back to them a lot. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out for, without form, and it was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what we see at the very beginning of creation is nothingness, formless, void. Actually, one of the Hebrew definitions of these words is chaos. There's no order to it. Then something amazing and miraculous happens. It says in verse 3 to 5, verses 3 to 5, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So now, regardless of what you believe about Genesis 1 and 2 in particular, about the number of days, the creation of the earth, science, etc., regardless of what you believe, if you re read the whole first chapter, you can tell that it's, it's about order. Right? God ordering everything in creation. He sets everything in place. The whole universe, the earth, everything in it and on it with extreme detail, including the actual DNA of all these things. It's amazing. Including vegetation, plants, trees, each with their own seeds that reproduce after their own kind. Then the order of the sun, the moon, and the stars, followed by the animal kingdom, and finally, you and me, created in the image of God. It's order. It's perfection in order, which is beautiful. So listen, I think that even the most ardent atheist or secular humanist will agree that everything in the cosmos, and again, if you're studying knowledge and you're trying to become wise by studying the cosmos and learning everything there is to know about the world, and, and they would agree about the order that they see. 
They would agree that it's incredibly ordered right down to the most minute detail in order that the world both function and for you and I to be able to flourish. They wouldn't argue with that. But sadly, (laughs) they would deny that there is something behind that order, someone who ordered it all and put it in place. They would also heartily agree that in nature, if something is out of order, then yeah, decay and even death will ensue. I mean, good illustration of that would be let's stay with fish. You know, because of a development, if you destroy a stream and the, and the pebble beds and the rock beds of a stream here in Squamish, which has been done in the past, what happens to the fish? They die. They don't come back to that river or to that bed. So we, male and female, created in the image of God, were made to function and flourish in an ordered way, I would suggest. Then on that fateful day, of course, in Genesis 3, the order that God had established was turned completely upside down, broken, and that is why things are not the way that they should be today. The serpent, which is a picture of an animal that slithers along the ground, right, lifted himself out of order over the woman, someone created in the image of God, who left the order God had also established by creating the man first to be her head. And that order has been broken also to this day. So it's not a coincidence also, by the way, that when God declares the serpent's fate and his promise to fix the problem and reorder things, he says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise, another good word for that is crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So order is God's plan and reality for our flourishing. I hope you see that. I hope we can see that it's the commands of the Scripture, what God is calling us to, the wisdom of the Proverbs, the wisdom of Christ, of the Holy Spirit that He wants to give to you is not so that you can avoid punishment. (laughs) It's not so you and I can, can get God to bless us more because we're so good. It's because He wants to realign us to our true nature so that we can truly flourish. So, number two, how wisdom reorders our reality. Let's look at the first two verses in Proverbs 2. My son, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Uh, In Israel at this time, and really throughout their history, at the time of Solomon, the the home was where most young, well, it was where all young men and women, including, of course, their rabbi. But their, their father was generally their teacher in their home. And they they would teach them and nurture them, of course, and feed them, but they would teach them about God and specifically wisdom. And so when Solomon wrote this amazing book and, and, and published it and gave it to the people of Israel, it was a blessing because this was like, now, this is what we've been teaching our kids, but it's all here. It's all one place. And so it was their attempt to help them become competent in the realities of life was to teach them to be wise. And first of all, to teach them to be wise about God. 
So every father and rabbi would teach their children to treasure, to desire wisdom more than anything else. And Solomon's Proverbs is a prime example of that kind of teaching and instruction. He opens with a series of ifs. Do you see that? Uh, when, when it was being read for us earlier, if you read, I believe, uh, for the first four verses, maybe five, he, he, it's a lot of ifs. If you hear me, if you treasure what I teach you, if you listen and you don't daydream or dawdle, right, and, and you give your heart, if you give your heart, your desire to wisdom, uh, verse 3, if you ask for it, uh, if you seek it like the greatest treasure you could ever find. That's our purpose for this series. And this is what he's saying. Then, he says in verses 5 and 6, then you will understand. You will understand the fear of the Lord, meaning you will have reverence for God. You will see how wise and awesome and wonderful He is. And find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So we then see as it goes on in this passage what the wisdom of God does for the young man or woman who finds it. What, what it does, what it's intended to do for you and for me and for our children that we're instructing this, it reorders your life to align once again to the order that God, that God created for you and I so that we would flourish, be happy, be joyful in this life. He uses words like walk, path, way, a good path to show us how God reorders our hearts, making us upright once again, people of integrity who understand righteousness and justice, and not just that we understand it, but that as the reordering process progresses, it's pleasing, actually, it says, to our souls. Have you ever felt that? I've had brief moments of this in my life. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I do remember when I first became a Christian at 23 years of age and, and left the life of long hair and tie-dyed T-shirts and bell-bottoms and inhaling substances, and it was incredible. I mean, for the first six months, I mean, everything that I read about the Bible, I was like, oh, I mean, I got a haircut. That's a good sign. And, and I stopped doing the things that I was doing. And there was a time when I, I actually, you know, believe what the Scripture said, that we're no longer sinners, although we still sin, but we're saints in Christ. I, there, was a, there was a time on it where there was a joy and a feeling of elation that He has changed me. And then, and then, have you ever had those moments? Really? I mean, where, where you're, you're living by God's Word and you can feel and see that He's doing a work in your life. He's changing you. He's taking this one thing that you did, like we hear about the men with perverse lips, cursing and swearing, and He takes that away from you, and instead you're, you're kind and gentle and speaking good words to people, and, and you all of a sudden start feeling, this is what it's talking about. It, it brings this progression. Others see it, which is awesome, but we sense it. Why? Well, because we're in the proper nature. We're where we're supposed to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. We're being regenerated. We're being sanctified, made into the image of Christ. So then Solomon gives these two examples that we heard read of what our lives looked like. It's supposed to be past tense. Before wisdom reordered our lives, men head down the path of perverted speech, as I said, walking again in the ways, the paths of darkness, chaos, disorderly conduct, which just leads to death. 
And like men, women in this particular case are unfaithful adulteresses, uh, which doesn't mean in the literal sense necessarily, but they're just being unfaithful. They're walking away from God. They're walking away from their true nature and living in a way that they shouldn't. And so then at verse 20, he concludes really with, so you will walk because of wisdom that I'm teaching to you, that you're hearing from God, you will walk in the way of good and keep the paths of righteousness. So Solomon concludes by letting his student know that the purpose of wisdom that comes from above is to keep our paths aligned with God's design for us as his children. Just like you love your children and you want them to walk that way, that's what he wants for us. You want the best for your children, right? You don't want them to grow up and make your mistakes, do you? I sure don't. And so we teach them to be wise, not just from our mistakes, but from what we know from God's Word. This is the way things are supposed to be. This is reality. This is reality. One of the most beloved Proverbs is actually in the next chapter. And it's a good lesson for us, I think, at this point to take, uh, to take away not only at this point, but for today. It says this, you all know this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding or anyone else's for that matter. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He, look at this, will make straight your paths. (laughs) Proverbs 2 then is about two paths, her paths and the path that leads to life. When you hear the words of Jesus again from Matthew chapter 7, which I read last week, about the narrow gate and the wide road alongside these words of wisdom here, you know where we get the phrase, I'm on the straight and narrow now. Now, isn't it it odd? I mean, these are the words of God. This is where we're supposed to be, is to be on the straight and narrow. And yet, are there two words more disgusting to our culture today than straight and narrow? Aren't aren't these the things that Christians are accused of being in a derogatory way? Wisdom of the world under the sun. Wisdom of God. Wisdom of the world that is not aligned to the paths or to the true nature that God has created for them which is why we have all the pain and suffering and people searching for meaning and identity. That's what people are searching for, is identity. And it's in the straight and narrow. Isn't that odd? I kind of thought it was. That's why I shared it with you. Number three, there's really good news. There's really good news. Number three is God's plan to reorder all things. And so we know that God kept His promise to Adam and Eve and to us in the garden on that fateful day that he would send a child born of a woman who would crush the serpent's head. That woman, of course, was Mary, and that child, of course, was Jesus Christ. And we know that the gospel is true, that Jesus lived the perfect life that we cannot live so that he could give his perfect, straight, and narrow life of righteousness to us so that we could walk in it so that we could follow Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation, born again. The old way has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the promise. Have you grasped it? I know. I know we try. Maybe it's because we just haven't done a proper reality check. I hope we have today. So we know this is also true. Jesus established His kingdom at that time. He came after He defeated, defeated Satan in the wilderness. He then said, I have come to preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Those were His opening words <laughs> as He began His ministry. And so we know that His kingdom was established at the time, but not fully yet. There is coming a glorious day, and we read about it in the last book, in the last chapter, which tells us what this amazing day will look like. Friends, the good news is this, is that if you're in Christ here today, if, if you've received Him as your personal Savior, he, He's willing and able Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is willing and able to reorder your life. The first thing you need to do is you need to say, my life is crooked. The path that I'm on is crooked. You need to come back to that straight and narrow. And then the beauty is, is that as He promised that He would send His Son, His Son also promised, I'm coming back. And this is what that day will look like. It says in Revelation 21, John, seeing this vision, says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's us. That's us. It goes on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will his, be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Totally reordering things to exactly the way it was in the garden. But it gets better. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus, reordering everything. So when the history of humanity on this earth comes to an end, and it may be sooner than any of us think, when it comes to an end, we will still not know or have achieved the ultimate reality, nor will we be leaving it. <laughs> Instead, Jesus will be bringing it to us, restoring reality forever. Today, my friends, we can simply know this. There is an ultimate order God's original order, and it is perfect without decay or death. That order was broken, corrupted when men, when we decided that we would be wise without God. And the good news of the gospel is that because of what God did in Jesus Christ for you and I, we can live 
reordered lives today? We can. And despite the ongoing consequences of sin, which are decay and physical death, the gospel can and will save you and I and reorder our lives in His creation for all of eternity. Praise to be to His glorious name. Amen? My prayer for you and I is that this reality check is very helpful. And that as a result, as we continue in this series, as you go today, you will desire wisdom more than anything else for your life. You will desire as you pray, as you open the Scripture, as you read, as you devote your time, which is what devotions mean, to God and His Word and to hear from Him, that He will point out to you where your life is out of order. Let me finish with this thought. You know where it is. We all know. And and the evidence and proof that our lives are so out of order, are so messed up, are so on the wrong path, is we look for reality by going to unreal places, like drugs, like alcohol, like every form of sin. It's because the reality that we're living we know is broken. There's good news. Jesus died for you. He died for you so that you would live again and you would live with Him for eternity. And He died for you so that He could give you a brand new reality, bring you back to the order, to the reality that God intended for you and I so that we may flourish. Pray with me, would you?